Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. No one 100% knows what they're doing. And this is like where there's like a fine balance of figuring out as you go, right? And just like not being afraid to just share what you're doing, build in public, all of that. And being open to just asking questions and be, be vulnerable, right? Like uh, not think that you need to know it all right now, uh, but just constantly being like a student. What's up, Camille? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Daniel. It's been, uh, it's been a minute, so it's good, uh, good catching up. I want to first chat about your background. How did you get into marketing? What was your journey like? When I, when I entered college, I remember meeting with a counselor and they were like, what do you like? And at the time I, I said, it's like, oh, like a combination of uh, like business. I think like entrepreneurship at the time, like sounded interesting. I was like that writing art. And they're like, let me, let me point you to the advertising department. So they just kind of like pushed me uh, in that direction, which was nice. Cause I sort of just had a direction all through college. So they had a very like structured program. So went through the advertising program there. There was a creative track. So I, I went like the copywriting route there, but also did like some, some of the research side, some of more of what you'd call like traditional marketing. So from there, like works for started out in an agency, then went into kind of um, like small, more local marketing, I would say. And then sort of like stumbled into the like startup SaaS worlds from there, I would say. Yeah, partly just from from building online uh, and then just doing a lot of, you know, research on the side. Like, what's this SEO thing? Like, what's this and that? And so, you know, you're doing those kind of projects on the side. And that's like usually how um, you kind of like stumble into marketing with, you know, a lot of other people that are experimenting in the field. It seems like everyone has an untraditional path. I've never heard someone have the same exact path of marketing. So it's always cool to hear the background of where you came from. One thing I want to chat to you about is you think about content differently than a lot of B2B companies out there. I know you work for more of a media company mindset now. How do you think about content? I know you think about it as a product, but what does content as a product mean? This definition has constantly been evolving for me because um what we were chatting about it before this episode was I was thinking about like the lead magnet and the concept behind the lead magnet. Cause I think at one, at one time it worked really well, you know, obviously like a lot of the HubSpot, you know, business model was like built on these sort of like mega lead magnets. But even if we look in, into that, like, I, I think one of the reasons why HubSpot early on did do as well as it did is it was usually kits. Like it wouldn't just be like one PDF. It would be like, Here's like a Google spreadsheet. It's like very actionable and like several other resources that ultimately kind of feel more like a, like a kit or like a product. So I was thinking about that idea and then coming on to Peer Signal with Adam and how he just, you know, started building these databases on, on Airtable. There's all sorts of no code tools now that you can use. Um, and there's sort of like a higher level of expectation for free, right? Like everything's free. Every product you can you can find like a free trial, a freemium package. And so there's kind of like this higher expectation 
And for me, like for something to be really valuable, it should be pretty actionable. So I think we've kind of evolved from this, oh, like lead magnets are this lazy book that at one point we thought was really cool because it's like this digital book. And now that the idea is kind of kind of tired. It's just like a lot of like lazy research a lot of times, like this sort of lazy packaging. And so like the next level to me is, okay, how can you, how could you build a database or how could you build like a, a real resource for some, someone that's actionable? And then from there, like I can turn that into words. So early on in my career, it was like content is words, right? It's like, there's a, usually a word count. You're at one point you're paid by the word, you're paid by the hour. And now I think it's evolved into just like a resource, right? Like think of your your content department as like just creating value, right? Creating creating resources, like actionable things for people to to use. So that's kind of the the journey, I would say. And there's a couple um, examples there, but I'll just just pause and see see how that hits. I have the same mindset. I've said this in a couple of times on the podcast. The reason why I think you should treat content as a product is because if you treat it like the product, the end goal is making the product great for the end user instead of thinking as an additive to the strategy or the end result is to get leads. The end result is to make the best resource product for your audience. And if you think about then that, then you invest in it, you innovate on it, you make it better and better and better for your audience. But if you think of it as a lot of companies do is I'm creating this piece of content to get leads. The end goal is always to get leads. So all you're going to do is optimize that content to how can I get the most downloads, not how can I make the best experience or the best resource or the most educational thing for your audience. So that's my take on it. It's a little bit like what you're saying. It's just a lot of people and they've been saying this for your content is king or queen or whatever. But the reason why I think people, I call people out on the BS on that now, because if you think content is king or queen, then it should be like the center part of your strategy. It should be like the thing that you're going to market with. It shouldn't be, oh, we have a nice to have creating content, but content is still king or queen. So just what them saying that does not, relate back to what their strategy actually is. If you go look in the back end of what they're actually putting out into the market. Adam thinks of um, high leverage activities, right? Like we're always talking about like, what's a high leverage activity that we can do? Because if you are going to do a big project, like a big resource or tool, then you're not doing other things, right? Like you're 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 not doing like whatever the the weekly thing or the daily thing is that you normally do. And so it's like, okay, how can I work backwards from this to create several pieces of content? Or like how can this piece like give us just as much reach? So it starts with like, okay, how can I justify like the time that I'm gonna spend here? And then there's also the matter of with a product, like you have product managers that help you prioritize the roadmap of a, of a product, right? And then if you're thinking about content as a product, then you're going to have a similar sort of backlog, right? Or a similar kind of like roadmap. And if, you're, if your product is based on real customer needs, real customer conversations, then it's going to be relevant. And then you're going to kind of work backwards from, okay, like what's our product expertise? What's our expertise in general, our point of view? What do customers need? And you're, you're taking all the, all the stuff that you already have 
And then you're saying like, what's the best possible product that that we can make that our competitors can't make, but that, that we can make, right? So to bring this into the real world, like I think something like what Gong did early days with like, okay, we have this um, kind of this new technology with, um, you know, call recording and trying to translate those things into insights, right? Like uh, into these like actionable things like salespeople can do. And so it's like, we have some research from all these recorded calls, like, can we analyze that and then surface like some of those uh, insights for people and turn that into, you know, analysis, like some content. So that's kind of like, to me, a good example of you're working backwards from the persona, like that salespeople want actionable content, right? That they can use on the call, right? But then also you're working backwards from, from the product of like, what's the unique thing that my product does and what's like a unique packaging of the content that no one else can do. I think that's a decent example of any time that you can you can leverage product data or or leverage uh, you know a unique product capability templates. I think are another great example of if you're more of a a notes tool. Like Notion is kind of the the king of this. The way that they've uh, built through community and built through templates. So those are those are the few that come to mind of companies that are really nailing this strategy. One thing that I like that you really said is using the expertise that you have internally. I think a lot of people think, okay, we need to be on TikTok, but, or we need to be on another channel, but is the content people or the people internally, do you have the talent? Do you have like the video? Do you have that? Or are you better at doing written word or data analysis? Or are you better at producing content for LinkedIn? Like you can eventually hire for those talents or stuff like that, but start with who you have and then double down on that. Cause that's what I think Gong did very well. They did have product data, which they knew that that's one of the expertise, but they also tied it into like Devin was really good at LinkedIn content and using content online. So they took two things and written word content. So they took two, what the content team is really good at and what the product could really spit out to them and they added it together to create a great content product. I think the missing link is you have to do something that you could be great at, not that you think that everybody needs. And then also working back from the audience, obviously, like does that audience actually hang out on LinkedIn? They knew that salespeople hung out on LinkedIn, so they went on LinkedIn. That's a great point. I want to go like tactically how say you're going to be, create a piece of content, how do you work to execute that piece of content? How does it from like idea to actually like delivering that piece of content to the market? So like our, our product roadmap and a lot of product roadmaps live in Trello or like, you know, some Kanban like type board, right? Like where you're kind of moving it into different stages. And so, so that's what we do for, for key player product. And then um, then I was thinking about, okay, how, you know, how do we do like the same thing for for content? And I've seen this done before pretty well in terms of like, yeah, basically just using, using a Kanban board, but it was a few different iterations. And I'm not saying what we have is, is perfect right now, but but essentially like there's there's basically the raw, you could think of it, since my show is called uh, like content logistics, this is kind of like how I think of things. So you think of like the, the raw material, like you mentioned that you have your internal resources. So it's like, I'm even including people in this. So there's your people, there's your tools, like there's your budget, all that is kind of like just, just raw stuff. So 
using all that, you're, you know, you generate some ideas. And I think you should pull from what's timely right now. So within our community, like let's say it's the it's the tech community. There's there are a lot of things that are like super timely right now uh, in the tech community in terms of um, fintech. Like we just we just put up like a fintech index, like because of everything that's happening in banking, because we saw like a gap there, right? And so it's same thing that you do with the product is like where are the gaps, right? Like where are they not being addressed? So that's just like a, a quick example there. But we we throw in ideas there, and then we have a stage that's scoping i believe is like what's what's after that is you're kind of okay i'm pulling over some of the ones that i think are kind of the most relevant for our our audience the most timely and then the most impact so we have kind of a a star rating and it's like a a four star rating right now i I like to think of it as or we talk about it as like um bases right so like a baseball analogy of like is this a single double triple like home run and it's, you know, it's kind of subjective, right? But it's kind of like, okay, how much reach do we think we can get? You just kind of have to like project based on what you've already done, which is how much like key play or influence it's going to have and then how much peer signal influence. So for those that who are listening, peer signal is our, our media brand or research kind of brand. And then key play is our product. And so kind of evaluating both, but thinking mostly on the community side. So I have kind of a star rating and that kind of like helps decide you know what what gets moved over when and then there's also just like a a t-shirt size is what we've been calling it so that's how big the project is right like is this a small medium large like type lift right based on what we already have because we might have really good data around this already so it'd make for a really strong piece but we don't have to do a lot of work for it so that's like a high leverage activity and that's what's going to be more likely to be moved over so that's kind of like the scoping and then Adam and I will, will meet once a week and we'll talk through, yeah, well, basically what's in scoping um, and whether or not we both agree uh, with like how, you know, how I've graded it essentially uh, or how I prioritized it. And then he'll, he'll weigh in too because he's kind of, uh, he's a CEO, but he's also uh, for the peer signal side, we, we call like chief analyst because uh, he's a, he's a great analyst. He helps with the research side. He helps pull the data so he can kind of advise on how long it's going to take him like to pull some of the data that we need for a project. And so that helps the scoping. And then we'll move something over to like planned, right? So it's like planned. And then from there, you know, you have, uh, you have the, the review phase and you have the publish phase and all of that. But, but really just thinking about it as content logistics, right? Like thinking about it as kind of like this assembly line where you have a framework and a sort of a strategy behind like what gets moved over and then just being open to change, if something comes up, like you have your roadmap, there are some things that you can ship any week, right? Like we we have like a homepage uh, gallery and there's several things we can create around that. So we created a sort of like examples blog, but that that wasn't timely. Like I, we could ship that at any time. But there are other things like like the FinTech index or like our, uh, our hiring tracker that we did with Corporate Bro that were just opportunities that came up. So it's, it's a partly about just being flexible uh, with your roadmap and just saying, hey, this all of a sudden is like the top priority. So forget like what we had scheduled. We can bump all of that stuff back. But yeah, let's let's jump on like these opportunities while they're here. That also helps us build the muscle of of speed, right? Of just being able to execute when there is an opportunity instead of being like bogged down with like, we have to follow the schedule. I think of content 
in two buckets now, like as I've been creating more content is there's actually kind of three. There's evergreen content, which you kind of said, where if I put it out today and I put it out in six months, it's still going to be relevant to my audience. Then there's always on content. And the way I think about that is content that I'm going to be producing all the time. So that's like LinkedIn, let's say we're running Twitter, whatever, these content that I'm always going to do. And then the third bucket is initiative type content. So planning out roadmap for like the the year, obviously could change based on what comes up. If we get invited to like an event or something, like get invited to inbound, then it may be good to put in an event and around inbound or something like that or a live something. But the way I think about it is, is initiatives that I can add on to it where it's, okay, this quarter I'm going to do one long-form piece of content, one virtual event, one live event, which can change, but I just want to keep the roadmap, do that. And the second thing that I think about that Becca has actually, you know, Becca, um, Becca who's the CEO of Workweek, is thinking about prioritizing content in levels of like funnel so for example like driving someone to a community is probably more important to driving someone to something else so thinking of like how could i drive them to different phases of like their journey as in the content so trying to get them to more of like that owned resource or that way to get them to build more value into our system is the kind of how i think about it I just wanted to add on because I think the content logistics, how you great. The one thing that I love also is how you separate it by like stars of like first base, second base, third base, home run. Cause I think that also shows that like a lot of marketing is intuition. Like, you know, from past experience, you know, it might not hit, but like in my intuition, this is going to be a home run based on things I've done in the past. So I, I love that. Like, it's not all about like, looking at all the data in the past and saying we should do this. It's intuition driven as well. One thing I was listening in DG's podcast that you said is you kind of have a mindset shift of how you measured and the actions of what you're doing. So could you talk a little bit about how that changed from how you actually measured and the, what is success of content for you now? Before previously, you were measured way differently, and now Adam kind of has a new way to measure you for success and content. So, basically, the some of the KPIs for this this quarter, and really like sorry, but like OKRs, and then like uh, specific key results for me for the quarter were largely around like building community, building audience, a lot of media goals, right? And I've said before that when I first came into this role, as bullish as I am on on media and content and very confident uh, that it works, I haven't had that the type of freedom, I guess, um, that I feel here of not being held to the revenue, right? Directly to revenue, because that really is like, it's hard. It's hard to prove. And some content teams are responsible for kind of some of that product marketing, customer marketing type content as well. So for me, at first, it was like understanding, oh, no, I'm like, I'm really just responsible for building community, 
building credibility and just like building this sort of like media arm. And Adam believes in that in that strategy and yeah, and makes sure that that is is constantly the focus. And so because of that, the KRs were around audience growth. So it was like, you know, number number of subscribers that we wanted to to get to and hit for this quarter. It was, you know, delivering a certain number of newsletter sends for the quarter. And that was interesting too, right? Because one, like you you have to factor in, okay, I'm going to be on vacation or something, at least like one week. Um, and then I found, oh, there's maybe going to be an emergency that comes up one week. And so, so this is like where you have to be flexible too, is on top of that, we also did two projects that weren't planned, right? So I'd mentioned the, the FinTech like beta index and then, yeah, the, the hiring tracker that we did with uh, with Corporate Bro, like those those two things were were not planned. And so so technically probably not going to hit uh, like the, the number of sends because we do it every Thursday. And so, um, but we ended up doing some other like really high, high leverage things instead. And so that's where you have to be like flexible if you're kind of a, you know, achiever type and like used to just like, you know, everything just working out. Like you just have to be more, more flexible than that. Cause it's like, ah, like I should have like foreseen like that, you know, something else was, was going to come up and that this was going to be like one lower, but anyways, but that's another one. And then another interesting one, I think too, is especially if you're in a very small team, it's about whoever you're reporting to, whoever your manager director is, it's like, how can I make that person's life easier right? Like how can I take on more responsibility and own more of this segment of the or department like within the business? And so so one thing that was important to, to Adam was like just limiting his time because that before I came in, he was pure signal. He was doing everything for, for the newsletter. He was doing everything for the, him and Andrew were doing everything for the databases, right? And then when we launched our product, our SaaS product in December, it's like he really needs to be as close to a full-time CEO of that product as possible, right? And then minimize like his work as, you know, analyst and you know, overseer of of the media arm. And so he's just kind of given me more more trust and responsibility for for that. So basically one of the other KRs was just limiting Adam's time like on peer signal so that he can focus more on the other side of the business and sort of just giving me more reins that way. And so that's been a little bit more about systems, right? Like how can we, how can we be really efficient, get more from less? So it's been more like we do a big report. It's like, uh, there's been a couple of times where I've been able to get, you know, two, maybe like three newsletters, like um, out of something, right. Instead of just like the one. And that makes it easier for him to kind of either like batch the work or limit the work. And so it's been a lot on, on scoping, I guess, is like refining that scoping process for, um, for that KR. And then another thing we're talking about for next for next quarter that's interesting is um, sort of the, like the quality assurance process. This goes back to systems of, I'll give you an example of, we have like a human review process for, for PLG companies. So we have this, uh, when somebody community submits something, right? If you're like, hey, I want to, I want to submit Loom, like as a PLG company that I want you to track. And so they, uh, so anyone can go in and submit something but then we'll go in and and, uh, and at least have one human reviewer say, yeah, this is like validated as as a PLG company. And so he's got a system for that. And it's a matter of like building that in. So, so yeah, so I essentially I do that like once a week or that happens. And so like, so you're essentially like getting that 
quality and quantity up rather than like wait till the end of the quarter and be like, oh, there's like five, there's 5,000 things like waiting to be, to be approved. Right. And so building like some of those, as you kind of call it, like it's kind of the internal always on content, right? Like it's just like things that like need to, need to be done to grow our database that, that helps grow the credibility, right? So we have a higher sample size of these things. So it's like little things like that, that like you just need to make a part of your work week. I think people mistake this when they're starting out social or building content, building media, that you have to separate goals of what you're trying to achieve with the content into buckets. And when you're starting out, the first goal, to me at least, is like, how can we get the most attention and get the most engagement so people know who we are first? Then we can start thinking about next things where like, how can we get more of those people to convert to X? And then after you get conversion to like middle funnel content, like newsletters and growing that list, then you can start thinking about out of those people who are on our newsletter, do they buy or do they not? I think a lot of people have to think about all three things when they go, but it's so much easier to think about attention first, then intention second, and then do they buy or do they not buy? last I, th- I love how you think about that also strategically making the process better is so great about how you're adding process of making one piece of content five pieces of content for adam or getting him in one room maybe interviewing him for an hour that becomes five pieces of content instead of having him to do hey could you write these five newsletters or hey could you write these five pieces and instead you just say i'll interview you for an hour and i would get five pieces of content out there that makes the, your life way easier what is a marketing hill you would die on i think it's um like never assume like this is not this is bigger than marketing i think but i think a lot of like the marketing lessons um that i have are just uh like never assume that you know best or that you know you know that you know your audience because i think like the moment the moment that you do that it's partly like ego based right it's like if you're marketing to marketers you're like i i know i know marketers right like i don't i don't need to talk to customers um and then it's like a slippery slope of uh of just like not being plugged into to the community to like the zeitgeist to uh, just to other people and like you just lose that kind of like human connection when you're just like assuming you know that you you know best and so so that's one thing for me um i'll tackle like another one that's a little bit more like content focused though um and that's just that you're, you're it's kind of goes hand in hand but it's like your audience is your best editor you don't know best like you probably have a, a really good idea but your audience is going to give you feedback and then you should be like taking that to heart refining the process, figuring out what to what to filter out. Cause there's sometimes when it's like it's people giving feedback that aren't your target audience. So you do need to be able to have thick skin about that and just say, I'm okay with like this not appealing to everyone. Uh, but when your actual audience is like, hey, I didn't like this or that, or I'd like to see more of this or that, like uh, then just letting them kind of um edit the process like for you and like show you the the direction they should go with the next piece. I think the two that you said are great. I think assumptions kill most marketers right now. I think not kill, but the reason why a lot of people fail at marketing is because they assume they know best about the audience or they assume that 
something will hit. And that leads to dangerous level of not testing, not trying new things, not doing anything because you're making these assumptions. I think assumption, the way I think about it instead of assumptions is like, you can make hypotheses that like things, things will hit or will not. Then you test them if they work. And then if they don't work, you take like the learnings and you apply it to something else. It's more like having a hypothesis, but you have the hypothesis all good is like gathering user feedback, user data, user everything to make sure like you're doing everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a totally different mindset, right? Like you you mentioned it, like it's more of a science when you think of it that way. Like it's more open minded and it's more presumptuous, I think, to just say like to just assume, right? And so walking that line is um is important and, and just being open-minded and checking your ego out the door is important. If someone were to come to you today, starting out in content marketing or marketing in general, what piece of advice would you give them that you they would come back a few years later and thank you for? <laughs> Something that, that my partner says a lot is that uh, everyone's a giant baby. <laughs> like I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but like no one a hundred percent knows what they're doing. And this is like where there's like a, a fine balance of figuring out as you go, right? And just like not being afraid to just share what you're doing, build in public, all of that. And being open to just asking questions and be be vulnerable, right? Like uh, not think that you need to know it all right now, uh, but just constantly being like a student. But then like just just easing up a little bit, just like realizing that like you're not you're probably not as behind as you think that you are. Like everyone else is 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 faking it to some degree too. So that I think like just gives you more confidence. Like even the most confident person uh, that you know in marketing, they have insecurities or they have weaknesses about you know different parts of marketing. So I think just knowing that gives you the confidence to to learn to ask the right questions and to get better. Yeah, one of the things I think about marketing is so different than any other profession is that someone could be the best content marketer in the world, but doesn't mean they they know anything about marketing operations or know anything about paid advertising. Like, like in a de- in-depth level, they might have like a high level, but they don't know how to execute it. So everybody is a beginner at something in marketing. And that gives me peace of mind that, okay, I'm great at this. But I know someone is better at something else. I know I have to know the high level, what paid advertising means or what content marketing means, but I don't have to be the expert because I know someone else is way better than me at that. I should just focus and stay in my lane and double down on my strengths that I'm good at. Yeah, absolutely. Last thing is where could people find you? I know you have a podcast you started. I know you're doing cool stuff at Peer Signal. Where could people find you? Yeah, I do have a podcast. It's called Content Logistics. We zero in on different types of content strategies. So each guest is usually covering like a, a different content strategy, which is fun. And then I'm probably the easiest to get a hold of on LinkedIn. I'm the most active there of all the channels. Although my my Twitter inbox is probably, it's not as full. <laughs> and so uh uh, so if you want to try and go that route, uh, you can, but you're just going to see a lot of uh, Blazers rants, I think, more than uh, marketing uh, advice. So um, beware. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, you check out our podcast. Also, I, just to note, I love the the statement you made in another podcast. I'll just bring it back to what you say. It's like, 
the two types of content you can create is one, this in-depth pieces where you bring in experts and you could dive into different pieces of content and then like how the macro environment's going and marketing and, and how how to think about like just bring it to full thing is like how do you think about marketing in a down economy versus like how to think about executing a, a content marketing framework two different types of content both needed in the market so i love that you're doing like an in-depth podcast but also having macro stuff that's going on like the finance thing you're creating and stuff like that so that's cool yeah it's i mean it's great when you can have a mix and it's even it's even better when they're all connected when they are related to to one another so it doesn't feel like more uh it just feels like an expansion or something well thank you so much for joining this has been great i appreciate your time thanks daniel talk soon thanks so much for listening Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.